Good morning, everyone. Again, it's a joy and a delight to have you in our service today, and we welcome you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, especially those of you who are visiting for the first time. We thank God for your presence, and we trust that you'll be blessed as a result of your being here today. Prior to the missions conference, I started a series of messages on the biblical perspective on contemporary moral dilemmas that confront, that confront the believer in Christ. So far, I've covered the issue of capital punishment, gambling, and abortion. Although I didn't really complete abortion, the, uh, the focus on abortion, I might say a few more words about it today. But I will make, but rather, in, in view of the fact that I will not be speaking next week, and then the following week we have two weeks focusing on the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are glorious themes, aren't they? I hope you're preparing your heart now to really focus on these magnificent events of the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll be spending a, a couple of weeks focusing on these subjects again. But so in view of this fact that I will not be getting onto this theme again for perhaps a, mo a month or more, I want to give you an overview, as it were, of what I believe to be the underlying biblical and theological issue that is being challenged by these so-called social and moral dilemmas. In other words, I believe there is an underlying biblical theological truth that is actually being attacked, if you want. And I want to point that out to you. Um, and then later on, Lord willing, we will go back over these things and deal with them in detail. We'll just be looking at them from an overview perspective at this time. So let me begin by asking you a few questions. First, is abortion on demand infanticide or murder? Secondly, is stem cell research moral? This is an issue that is a hot button topic today, by the way. We'll be talking more about this because some of you might not be quite familiar with what the stem cell research is all about. But these two questions deal with one underlying issue. And that issue is, when does life begin? Both of these issues deal with this theological question or issue. When does life begin? Now, I've already dealt with abortion. And we answered that question, I believe, in the affirmative. Abortion on the man is infanticide. It's the killing of a baby, a, a baby human being. Now I will deal with the stem cells in greater detail when I resume the series later on. But I will be talking a little bit about it in just a few moments because I want to orient you to the problem if you're not aware of it at this time. But now let's move on to the issue of euthanasia. Is euthanasia ever right? This deals with the theological question, when does life end? It also deals with the value or the worth of life. Are we to view life as a qualitative or a quantitative uh, perspective? And then capital punishment. Is capital punishment an inhumane or humane action. Now, I dealt with this in some detail, and I tried to show from the scriptures that really not to carry out capital punishment on a deserving person is actually inhumane because it does not uphold the dignity and worth of man made in the image of God. This asks the question, what is the value of human life? This deals then with the nature of human life. But then let's move on to something else. I'm just to overview, mind you. Let me ask you this question. Is a baby turtle more valuable than a human baby in his or her mother's womb? This has to do with animals' rights versus the human being. What about this one? Is a coconut tree more important than a human being's home or job? I could put here... Is mango bushes more important? Is sand, a beach, more important than a human being's welfare? This has to do with ecology. 
ecology. The question asked by both of these areas is, is there a human difference? That's the big question. Is there a human difference when we're talking about ecology or animal rights, so-called? Is all, is all life the same? Or is there a human difference? It has to do, all of these issues, all of these questions have to do with one big question. And that is, who am I? Who are you? Who is me? Who is man? That's the question. And I want you to see that. I want you to understand that. Otherwise, you get lost in the forest. There's no reason for these issues to be dilemmas for the believer who knows the word of God. If you know what is at stake. And so the who am I question impacts our response to all of these issues. And this is what I want you to recognize as believers in Christ who live in the times in which we live. Because if you get a good handle on who you are from a biblical perspective, the majority of the moral issues that you will confront and are confronting right now, and especially you students who will be going into the classroom, you'll be dealing with these issues. But if you know what is the underlying issue, it will help you as well. The so-called moral dilemmas won't be seen as dilemmas at all by Christians who know the Word of God. Now that's not a cliche, that's not a simplistic statement, that is the truth. And I believe that one of the reasons why believers, especially young people who go to the classroom, to the universities and so on, why some of them move away from the faith is because they're not grounded in doctrine. They do not know the Word of God. They look at doctrine as something that is boring and something that is to be avoided. When really, we cannot really understand Christianity, Christ, unless we know doctrine. Because it simply means teaching. Teaching about God. Let me illustrate again by asking some of the questions I have already asked, but now in a new light. First, take the issue of abortion. The big question is, is the fetus in the mother's womb human? In fact, some would say you need to ask it, is it person? Because you believe it or not, they differentiate between being human and being a person. When does the fetus become a person with worth? When does personhood emerge if it isn't inherent within the fetus? And you have people saying that life begins at different times. After conception, I'm talking about. And all of these questions have one underlying doctrine that is being attacked in the world today. Is the fetus just a cluster of cells? Or as one Bahamian doctor said in one of the talk shows, a parasite? Here is the definitions of, ab of abortion concerning, uh, from the perspective of the pro-abortionists, and notice I say pro-abortionists, not pro-choice, because that's the side, that's a, that, that's a I, I call a straw man. It has nothing to do with choice. The choice is already being made, all right? Pro-abortion, they define abortion as the termination of a pregnancy. The termination of a pregnancy. For those who call themselves pro-life, define abortion as the termination of the life of a human being. That's the difference. The termination of the life of a human being. Now, when we dealt with this some time ago, we concluded that the fetus from the moment of its conception is a full human person with potential, not a fetus with potential to become human. We established, I believe, from Scripture that the fetus is ensouled, in other words, has a soul from the moment of conception because that soul is passed on through the parents. That's how we are connected to the human race 
and how Adam's moral sin could be passed on to us. In other words, the fetus from its conception is a moral person. We covered this, so I won't go into detail, but I'll come back to it in a moment. Let's move on now to the issue of stem cell research, which also has to do with cloning. These are the big issues today, and many Christians are confused about it. Now, I will discuss this issue in detail later on because this is a complex issue. But I think we need to say a few words about it now so you can understand why it is so important in this series. Let me say just a few basic things then about it to orient you to the issue. Stem cells are the foundation cells for every organ, talking about the human body. Every organ, tissue, and cell in the body. Call stem cells because they're the beginning. They're the things that causes things to grow. Move off from it. They are like a blank microchip, for those of you who are familiar with computers. They're like a blank microchip that can ultimately be programmed to perform particular tasks. In other words, you can fix it, arrange it so it can do specific things. Stem cells are undifferentiated. In other words, they are blank. They don't have anything on them, as it were. They are not yet fully specialized, so they could be directed to go different places. You understand what I'm saying? Nothing is printed on them, as it were. Under proper conditions, stem cells begin to develop into specialized tissues and organs under special arrangements. Additionally, stem cells can self-renew, they can duplicate themselves, they can divide, and they can give rise to more stem cells. Now, next time we'll go into seed, the cell begins at one, and then two, and then four, and then eight, and so on, and so on, and so on. And then the whole, it, fully, it finally develops into a body if it goes through the normal process, or to different organs, and so on. Now, there are many different types of stem cells. These include embryonic stem cells in the fetus that exist only in the earliest stage of embryonic development. And actually, I think it's only between three to six days that you can really fool with these things. We'll talk about this later. An embryonic stem cell can form all cell types of the body. That's why they're called pluripotent stem cells. They can be manipulated in such a way to become any part of the body, heart, liver, lung, whatever it is, at a certain time, and only a certain time. These are the, cell cells, these are the stem cells that pose the problem for believers today. I'll explain why. In other words, it these, it's these embryonic stem cells that are the problem. Think of them as the embryonic, as the immature or, the, or the, the baby cells if you want. Now there are various types of adult or tissue specific stem cells that exist in a number of different fetal and adult tissues. That means small as well as the large or the young as well as the old. These stem cells generally can only form a limited number of cell types corresponding with their tissues of origin. They are called multipotent stem cells. In other words, the adult cells, they're there in the adult already, in the bone, in the bower, or whatever it is. These particular uh, cells can be directed, but only by in a limited way. But now here is where the dilemma comes in for the believer between the embryonic stems and the adult stems. Most embryonic stem cells come from spare embryos used, as, used at in vitro fertilization clinics. You know what in virtualization clinics are. This is where uh, the, um, the sperm and so on are kept in storage for a while. All right? I'll deal with this later on. I'm just trying to get you some idea now. But in order for these cells to be used, you got to kill the fetus. See the point? When scientists puncture the human embryos to gain these stem cells, they kill the embryo. Do you understand that? 
Now they do that, they say, because they can use these cells to cure some very outstanding and major medical problems, like Alzheimer's. Now these are claims. None of it has been proven yet. But these are the claims. They can cure just about any kind of disease. Why? Because you use the cell, you do away with the old one that is contaminated, and you replace it with this new one. You understand what I'm saying? But there's another dilemma. This has to do with cloning. Cloning is the duplication of a living thing, animal or human being. Here's how Kirby Anderson of Probe Ministries puts it. And he, by the way, Kirby might be here next week, Lord willing. This is what he says. Embryonic stem cells can also be obtained through cloning. An egg's genetic material is removed and replaced with the chromosome of an adult cell. This is one thing you don't need to have a man and a woman for. A clone can be done without male and female. All right? We'll talk about this later on as well. The stem cells are extracted from the cloned embryo. Again, this raises a pro-life concern. This raises a concern for believers. Why? Because human embryos are being produced by cloning so that their stem cells can be taken. In other words, people are being reproduced, or duplicated if you want, in order to use them as spare parts for others. In other words, you clone somebody, you have them over here, you've got somebody over here who is sick, you take the spare part from this valley, even though you might have to kill the person, and you use it for this other guy over here. And you clone or you duplicate individuals in order to use them as spare parts. That's true. That might sound crass, but that's the way it is. That's the moral dilemma that is being presented here. In other words, what you're saying here, babies are bred to serve as suppliers of parts for other older human beings. But the babies have to be killed in order to get the parts for the adults. Do you understand that? That's what's being discussed when you hear on the news now about stem cells research. Anderson says, quote, laboratory cloning is often used to create embryonic stem cells and genetically specified stem cells may be placed in the clone embryo for research purposes. It, you only use them for medical research. This reminds me of Hitler and his doctors and how they use the Jews for medical purposes. That's the same thing happening over and for some reason, people cannot see that. And it all has to do with our view of human life. And so the question is, is a fetus human? Another question, when does the fetus become a person with worth? We'll see why that is so important when it comes to euthanasia. Because the idea, if your life isn't worth anything to society, then get rid of you. One scientist dealing with this says that he believes that everybody over 85 should be killed because they've passed the years of really contributing to society. So when does personhood emerge if it isn't inherent within the fetus? That's the question. We'll deal with that in detail later as well. Let's look at the issue of euthanasia. When does worth as a human person cease? Abortion has to do with when does it begin? Euthanasia has the question on the other side now of the spectrum. When does it end? And the question has to do with worth or value. And it has to do with contribution to society. People are now talking about the right to die. Assisted suicide comes in here. The claim is that everyone, every human being has a right to choose when they die. If I, they could tell the doctor when they want to die, they can have somebody come in to help them to die. Is there such a thing as the right to die? Here's a definition of euthanasia. The word euthanasia comes straight out of the Greek. U, godly, means goodly or well, plus thanatos, it means death. Put them together, you have the good death. And for 18th century writers in England, that was what euthanasia meant, a good death. 
a welcome way to depart quietly and well from life. This is taken from a medical journal. But it goes on. Quote, the most commonly understood meaning of euthanasia today is more than the old dictionary definition of dying well, a good and easy death. It refers, for example, to the situation when a doctor induces the death with a lethal injection of a patient who is suffering unbelievably and has persistently requested the doctor to do so. So you see, the altruistic part is this person is suffering. This person is going through a lot of pain. Let's kill them in order to cease the pain. That's the idea. Sometimes individuals in a coma, you remember the Shriver case not too long ago, the big situation with that. Was she dead or not? This has to do with the value, the worth of life. People believe that they can kill themselves or some have someone assist them in killing themselves to ease the problems. And in some cases, the problems are on the family part, it costs too much to keep my old mom or dad in the home. Too much time is taken up by the caretakers to keep them alive. We're spending more than they're worth. So two sets of questions arise here. One, do we have the right to choose the time of our death? Is there such a thing as a right to die? Secondly, when does death occur? Now, it's amazing, we're talking about when does death occur, and some people, even scientists, cannot define what life is. Define life. It's amazing. I believe the Bible is the only book that defines life, tell you what it is. You cannot find a medical book, a scientific book, that tells you what life is. It's something like electricity. How long should we treat a body with dignity? What is the distinction between a human being and a corpse? Is a corpse a human being? Let me give you several definitions of death to get you thinking. Now you say, why I'm going through this? Because you are a Christian, you are a believer, and you need to understand what life is all about. You need to understand what these so-called moral dilemmas really are doing. Really, from my perspective, especially as I get more into it, I see it again as an attack on biblical truth. I see men trying to do away with the effects of the fall. That's what they're doing. And the only way they can do that, of course, is get away from the scriptures, the truth of God's word. The old definition of death was what? You die when your heart stops beating. Isn't that right? That was it. That don't hold anymore today. Here's how one medical source describes another definition of death. Quote, death is the end of life. <laughs> That's a good way of describing it. Death is the cessation of life. Now, he has in brackets, those common definitions of death ultimately depend upon the definition of life, upon which there is no consensus. <laughs> so they're giving us a definition of death, which depends upon a definition of life, but nobody can define life. Isn't that something? Here's another definition this, this uh, medical journal gives. Death is the permanent, and by the way, I believe this is the officially, the generally, although there's none really absolute, but this one seems to be the commonly accepted legal definition. Death is the permanent cessation of all vital bodily functions. Now, of course, this definition depends upon the definition of vital bodily functions. And there's a big disagreement as to which is vital. The other day we used to say that you could take out, what else you could take out and throw away, you don't care about, uh, the tonsils. But now they're finding that the tonsil has an important function. Something else they said you could do away with the appendix. Same, same thing. But now let me give you another version of the commonly accepted current legal definition of death. Quote, death is the irreversible cessation of circulatory and respiratory functions and of all functions of the entire brain, 
including the brain stem. This is what we call brain death. And before, a few years ago, that's all was said, brain death. But now they've added other things to describe when the brain is really dead. Because they found that many times when you think the, bread, the brain is dead, the brain isn't dead. It's like the Bahamian fisherman who cut off the head of the turtle. You know, he dead and he know it. Does the Bible define death? Yes. How is death defined in the Bible? When the spirit leaves the body. That's how the Bible defines it. But now you've got to define the spirit. And only the Bible does that. Only the Bi Science can't do that. They try to weigh the body after death. And some scientists say they notice there's a little, the body weighs a little less. So it means that something left. They don't know what. I don't know what scales they used on that, but that's what they... Uh, this is, now, this is supposed to be science. But now look at the issue of capital punishment. What is, the question here is, what is the value of human life? We covered that in detail last week. So I won't go into it anymore here. I, I mean, again, I'm trying to get the underlying truth, issue, about all of these things. And try to give a practical application. Let's move over to the fifth and sixth issues, the issue of ecology or animal rights. I put them together. The questions here are, how do we determine man's place in the ecological cycle? Nature, if you want, the things of life. Is man qualitative or only quantitatively different from other things? In other words, you see trees, you see animals, you see man. Do we have the same kind of life? Or is there a difference? You see, what is happening today is, most people are saying there is no difference. Animal rights. You, even here, with, with, with you're talking about dogs, treat your dogs like you treat your child. That's right. Would you treat your child like this? Would you treat your child like that? Would you treat your dog, your cat? That's what they're talking about. People are allowing themselves to be hurt, if not killed, but jailed, just to protect trees. Why? Just to protect marshes. Why? Because they believe that they have rights. And that the rights of these living things are more important than, quote-unquote, the rights of human beings. Now, I believe we should protect our animals. I believe we should protect our environment. Don't get me wrong. I believe with all my heart. But not at the cost of saying that they're just as or more important than human life. Listen to this quote by a scientist in this field. The day that communication is established, talking about the dolphin, because you know this is one of the big things with dolphin, that they could communicate, they have a language of their own. Uh, the, the military studies have been studying dolphins for years, how they communicate. And some of the things they found have already been put in place in the way communication is done. The day that communication is established, the dolphin becomes a legal, ethical, moral, and social problem. In other words, he's saying, the dolphin, if, if the communication can be established where they know what's going on, the dolphin would then be considered as being on the same level as a human being. Why? Because the scientists of this time to say that what made the difference between animals is what? Language, communication, the ability to think, thought, and communicate. Now, if the dolphin has that already, then the dolphin should be recognized on the same level as a person. You understand what I'm saying? Is man, are you, more important than a dolphin, a parrot, a conch, a turtle, a grouper, or even a dog, or a tree, or a mango bush? Many people are saying, no, you're not more important. Their welfare comes before yours. That's what, folks, that's what's going on. Wake up, look around you. In the United States, with reference to ecology and the value some people are now placing upon Nature in relation to man, former Supreme Council Justice William O. Douglas said this, the wilderness itself, the wilderness itself could possibly have the right to sue for its preservation. And there's already some people trying to do that. Sue for forests, sue for animals. They have a right to be represented. Translated in the Bahamas, that would mean that an eco-lawyer would be able to sue the government on behalf of an eroding 
cabbage or Sanders beach. That's right. We laugh, but that could come about. And if you watch the movies, I know most of you don't because you all are Christians brought up in Calvary and Calvary people don't go to movies. But if you hear somebody talking about it, you'll know what they're talking about. If you watch the movies, you will see that robots and machines are now getting equal billing with the human actors. Have you seen that? Watch Star Wars. All the names. And they get U2. Is it U2? What do you name? R, R, R2. You see the names of the robots? Same billing as human beings. You say, that's not significant? Yes, it is. Ultimately, I'm saying to you, all of these current issues which are making such an impact upon our society ask the same basic overall question. How is man, how are you, different from other living things? What is man? Who am I? Who are you? That's the question. Is there a human difference? Our society is going in a direction, no, there is no human difference. We're just like the trees, we're just like the animals, we're just like the earth. This is my friends, when a person can be fined or jailed for destroying, and I was going to say an anagua, not an anagua, iguana. When a person can be jailed or fined for destroying the egg of a turtle or cutting down a tree, but yet the killing of a human fetus in the mother's womb go by without notice. Something is wrong. What am I? What are you as a human being really worth? And why, if you're worth anything at all? In fact, I believe that much of the violence and overall disregard for the welfare of others we see all around us is due to this very fact here. Human beings do not appreciate themselves as human beings. That's why we could kill and maim individuals for $4, $5, or just because we don't want you in my face. That's the reason. One of the reasons. Most people today do not realize what it means to be human. We do not recognize the dignity of who we are by nature because of our Creator. Here's the biblical, theistic view of the nature of man, quickly. First, man was created by a personal God in his own image. No tree was, no animal was, no beach was. No turtle, no conch, no grouper. Man was created by a personal God in his own image, the Imago Dei. Therefore, man is a physical, spiritual being with inherent worth and dignity. In other words, we are worth something and we have dignity simply because of who we are as human beings. And that has come about by the fact that we were created in the image of God. Now, dignity is defined objectively by our nature. We look at our nature and the fact that we resemble God in our personality, not in our physical looks, but in our personality. Who we are. And dignity is subjectively or practically revealed in the way we act, especially toward one another. Now this is important, and this is the practical application of all of this I've been talking about. How do you relate to another human being tells me what you think about yourself tells me whether or not you really believe that you and all other human beings were created in the image of God. I just have to look at how you treat others and I could know how you really respond to the fact that you've been created in the image of God. We have a relationship to the Creator shared by no other creature. Why? Because we are like Him, made in His image, made in His likeness. And we share a relationship, a communion with Him that nothing else does. This gives us a special standing in creation on the one hand, but it makes all people equal on the other hand. And you're going to see that your view of what you're worth is reflected 
in how you think about people who are different than you are. Not only economically, but ethically as well. Secular humanism is people who believe that they make up their own laws and determine their own fate. Treats people according to their usefulness, either actual or potential. In other words, you're only worth something if you produce to help other people or to help yourself. Commodity. The Bible teaches that man is more than a tool to be used for, for other purposes. And that has been done by those today who believe in the evolutionary origin of man. Man can be used. That's why the stem cells is such a thing here. You kill people just to try out things. It's amazing. No one has been helped in any way by uh, the infant stem cells. None. This is systemic cells. Nobody has been helped. Everything is just theory. It might work. It might be okay. So we're going to try by continuing to kill the fetuses. However, the use of adult cells, stem cells, have already been demonstrated. Many people have been helped and healed by the adult cells, cells that are already in existence in adult people. But yet these who think that we've just came along by chance, say let's keep on killing these baby human beings so that we can help those who are sick. Sounds so good, altruistic, but the Bible never condones doing something that is immoral for a moral, for a moral cause. You understand what I'm saying? Never. My friends, the Bible teaches that man has something that no other creature on earth or heaven has. Something that is different, something that is unique, something that causes him to be different. What is it? What is that thing? What is that something about us that demands our being treated with dignity and calls for us to act accordingly towards one another? The theologian J.I. Packer puts it this way, and I quote, That something is the Imago Dei, the image of God, which is ours by virtue of creation. That separates us. That's the human difference. He goes on. He says to be valued for oneself as a person is hum humanizing, for it, en it ennobles. But to be valued only as a hand or a means or a tool or a cog in a wheel or a convenience to someone else is dehumanizing and it depresses. Secular humanism, though claiming vast wisdom and life enhancing skills, actually diminishes the individual who is left, here's the point, who is left in old age without dignity because his or her social usefulness is finished and without hope because there's nothing now to look forward to. That's why the scientists could say, if you become old and discrepant, you just well be killed, euthanized, because you've no worth or value to society. That's a commodity. But secondly, the Bible teaches that man was created for a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God by showing what he is like, especially morally. Man is therefore a person of significance. We've been created to show what God is like. That's what it means to be made in his image. We manifest the likeness of God in our being and in our, our nature and our behavior. We should therefore reflect that fact in the way we regard ourselves and one another. Coming back to that. But thirdly, man has infinite worth to his creator. And this is important for us to understand. Because we've been created in the image of God, our worth is absolute and inherent. We do not gradually become human or progress toward humanness. We are fully human when we are conceived. We are conceived as a human being and a human being of significance and worth at that at the moment of conception and we have that same worth and value at the very end of life. Yesterday it was said that um, Sister Joan's mother was 98 years on the day she was buried. 
was her life worth less than when she was conceived? No. Did the worth, the value of her life decrease with it? No. Her worth, her value was the same and remains the same throughout life. Listen to James, the brother of Jesus. But no human being can subdue the tongue. It is the rest as evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse people made in God's image. I want you to see this now. I want you to see what he is doing. He is not commending this. He's showing how terrible it is. We curse people made in God's image. That's what makes it so terrible, so awful. Because we, an individual made in the image of God, is cursing another person made in the image of God. We are reflecting the image of God in the way we should not. When we curse another individual. I want you to see the level here of worth and dignity that God puts on the individual. He said, these things should not be so, my brothers and sisters. We shouldn't treat people made in the image of God like that. When we do so, we demean not only the person we curse or mistreat, but we demean God himself. It's a slap in the face of God to do such things, to curse a person made in his image. Here again, the word of God and not the word of man. First John 4. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You notice, reflecting what God is like, reflecting the imago Dei, reflecting the image of God. God loves, so should those who are made in his image, morally speaking. Notice, no one has seen God at any time, the God who created us. Notice this now. Although we have not seen the God who created us, John is saying there's a way that we could make him visible. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. How do we make the invisible God visible? The God in whose image we've been made? By loving others the way he loves us. And whenever we refuse to do that, we demean our nature as a human being made in the image of God. In other words, we show what God is like when we love one another, when we do not demean one another, when we do not curse one another, when we do not backbite when we do not demean one another. We reflect his image in how we live, how we treat and regard one another. We treat others as those who are made in the image of God. And in this context, that's why he says, now listen, if you see a brother in need and all you do is I'm go, I'm going to pray for you, you are not reflecting the nature of God. What are you supposed to do? Do what God does. He sacrificially gives to care for his people. If your brother needs a loaf of bread and you have two, in fact, if you have one, you give it to him. And every time we refuse to meet the need of a brother or sister, we're demeaning the worth and value of what it means to be human made in the image of God. But there's a fourth thing. Man is a fellow creature of God's creation. But we are qualitatively different from all other living creatures. Qualitatively. More worth, more value. Because we're made in the image of God. We must therefore treat all human beings as individuals made in the image of God. And although we have to show proper regard for them, we don't have to treat trees and animals in the same way we treat human beings. What's the difference? It's the human difference. Made in the image of God. Here again, the word of God. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
There is dominion. There's authority over creation. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. God approved it. You're just what I want. You're made in my image. Now go out and demonstrate that to others. The value of human life, therefore, in the final analysis from a Christian and biblical perspective must be based on the sanctity of life rather than on the quality of life. And the only book, the only source that teaches about the sanctity of life is the Bible, the Word of God. That's it. Without the Bible, we'll have no idea of the sanctity of human life. We are created in the image of God. This is what gives us worth, significance, and dignity. So I don't care if you're poor or rich, black or white, or in between, like me. You have value. You have worth. You mean something to God. You are worth something in the sight of God. That means every one of you. Now you could sit here and you could say, yeah, that's true. Well, think about it for a moment because we're going to close with an application that comes from all of this that I believe. It touched me as I ventured. In fact, I didn't want to preach this to come up with this conclusion because I'm so guilty of not doing it. So a summary then. This long-held view of us being made in the image of God and have an inherent worth and value, which is the basis for Western civilization, is now being challenged by contrasting views in our Bahamian society as well as the world. It's being challenged. And as I said, all of the violence and all of the things you see around, I believe, is the result of this. Now, we're going to deal with what it means with the worldviews at different times. But now, be reminded of this fact. We can do much to counter these opposing worldviews. Not only or even primarily from a philosophical perspective, but by the way we as Christians treat and respect one another, as well as how we treat and respect human beings in general. That's how we can apply this truth. You say, well... I believe that the word is spoken to me today but my brothers and sisters, I'm going to care for them. I'm going to show more respect for them. I'm not going to mean them. I'm not going to curse them. I'm not going to backbite them. I'm not going to gossip about them made in, because they're made in the image of God. I'm going to show my brothers and sisters in Calvary Bible Church respect and dignity. I'm going to do that and I'm going to do everything I can to meet their needs because that's how I will demonstrate that I'm made in the image of God. Okay, praise the Lord for that. If you do that, I'll thank God. But you're going to leave this building in a little while. And you're going to drive or walk out to the corner. And you're going to see a bum. He's dirty. He stink. He smells. He's nasty. And you're going to do everything to avoid him. That'll demonstrate that you do not appreciate what it means for every human being to be made in the image of God. Because that bum, that stink guy, that dirty woman, is a human being made in the image of God. And if we treat them otherwise, we be treating them the same way that those who do not believe in God are treating us when it comes to trees and dogs and other animals as well, that life is of no worth unless it can produce something, unless it can give me something back. This truth, I went through it especially last night because I had real trouble with this. I didn't want to preach it. But I had no time to make up no other message. <laughs> but it caused me to revive something that I've had in my mind for years. I've never really shared it. But I'm going to do it today because some of you might have money. Some of you might have a concern. But you too have never shared it. I've long said to my wife and others, I would love to have a place with beds, with showers, with a little kitchen, and a van. 
that someone who cares would drive and go around, pick up these individuals, take them to this place, desanitize them, go and have a nice place with showers, hot, everything else, burn up the clothes they have on and give them new clothes, give them a place to sleep, let them clean up and work around the building until they're find, able to find to do something. Why? Because these individuals are made in the image of God and they need help from other people who are made in the image of God. Remember Jesus says, you do this to those people in jail and everything, you did it what? That applies here as well. So I'm saying to you, if you want to help me with this, I know I'm getting old now, I might not see it through, but listen. I believe that will be a big, big help to these people and a demonstration of Christian love. It isn't that many homeless people on this island, you know. I mean those who give in trouble. I shouldn't say give in trouble, but those who give you trouble. And I believe it's possible to do this, and I believe it will demonstrate the love of God and make the invisible God visible by what we do. So I'm looking for a place, a building, and a van. And somebody, some bodies, people would be willing, the staff this, to drive the truck and to be willing to use the hose to clean people and everything else. I believe that's one way we could demonstrate this truth we've been talking about today. Now you might find other ways to do it in your own life. But we're talking about here now, showing what we're worth. Being made in the image of God. Showing that we are people of significance who make a difference. How? By the way we treat people. And not only those who can give back to us, but those who cannot. Please bow with me in a word of prayer. Take a few moments of quiet reflection. If God has spoken to you in any way from the word and you need to confess or you need to make a commitment, please do that right now in your own heart between you and God. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. People are always saying, why don't I ask people to come forward? I don't want you to come forward to me. Raise your hand to God. Raise your heart to God. Make a commitment to Him. And then let me know about it. Let us know about it later on. Maybe God now will work in your heart in such a way that you will show your worth and your value and your significance as a human being made in the image of God by treating other human beings made in the image of God with dignity, with respect. Make that commitment now as God leads. And if you have any concern about what I mentioned and I'd like to discuss it further, please let me know. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise that it will not return to you void, but it will accomplish the purpose of which you have sent it forth today. And all of God's people said...